0: Welcome to episode 150 of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Beth Below and I am so glad you're here. Thank you for sharing this time with me. This episode's topic is one that I know is going to resonate with many of you. I've encountered countless people over the past nine years that I've been coaching who wrestle with a single problem, what to be when they grow up. I often still think that I'm wrestling with that problem myself. It feels like it's always in the background, this question of if we're using our gifts and our talents wisely, if we're supposed to find our one true thing, and if we do, how do we know when we find it? Well, Emily Wapnick is my guest today, and she believes that there's no reason to pressure yourself into finding that one true thing. In fact, she says that it might not even exist, at least not the way that we have been traditionally taught to look for it. I'd like to get to my conversation with Emily right away, so I'm saving some other comments that I have until after the interview. And what I want to share actually has almost nothing to do with the interview, except that it's another topic that frequently comes up in my work with clients and in conversations with friends. So stick around after the interview, because I'm going to offer some tips for keeping a touch of vacation relaxation around after you've returned to your desk. And since I just got back from a vacation myself, sharing this with you helps me to make sure that I practice what I preach. I'm excited to share today's guest with you. Emily Wapnick is a writer, career coach, blogger, and community leader. She is the founder and creative director of PuttyLike.com, where she helps multi-potentialites, which are people with many passions and creative pursuits, integrate all of their interests to create dynamic, fulfilling, and fruitful careers and lives. Unable to settle on one path herself, Emily studied music, art, film production, and law, graduating from the law faculty at McGill University. Emily's TED Talk has been viewed over 3.7 million times and has been translated into 36 languages. She's been featured in Fast Company, Forbes, Financial Times, The Huffington Post, BBC, and Lifehacker. Her book, How to Be Everything, a guide for those who still don't know what they want to be when they grow up, comes out from HarperCollins in May of 2017. Hi Emily, welcome to the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I am so looking forward to talking with you about what I think is one of my new favorite words, and that is multi potentialites. So welcome.
1: Oh, thanks so much. Thanks
0: for having me. Well, what is making you smile today?
1: Um, you know, I I don't know if there's one specific thing that's making me smile. I'm just kind of having a good day overall. I had a nice work session earlier today was a lot of fun and it's like a beautiful misty day here on the island so i'm excited to go for some do a bit of hiking after this and just generally feeling good yeah
0: yeah where are you where are you geographically located (laughs) um
1: i'm on salt spring island in canada it's like in bc kind of between vancouver island and the mainland
0: Excellent. Okay, that's it sounds like a place I need to get up to because I'm down in Tacoma, Washington. And um, so it's, it's like just a little jaunt up the coast, right?
1: Yeah, not far. I actually moved here from Portland a
0: couple months ago. So yeah, it's not far at all. Excellent. Well, congratulations on the move. And uh, it sounds like you're enjoying it. Well, let's uh, let's jump in to our discussion by starting out with where you describe yourself on the introvert-extrovert spectrum and sharing a little bit about how that awareness has influenced your path.
1: Yeah, um, I'm definitely an introvert. I'd say that I'm somewhere between the middle of the spectrum and the introverted side, kind of maybe right in the middle. Um, so, you know, I, I like one-on-one time with people and smaller groups. I dislike crowds in general and, mm-hmm. you know, parades and things of that <laughs> nature. <laughs> um, I, I like spending time alone, um, but I'm also, I've got my, my extroverted side. I mean, <clears throat> I like performing from time to time. Like, I, mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of karaoke for whatever reason. Maybe it's because <laughs> I grew up playing music. Um, so, like, occasionally I like to kind of get out and do stuff in
0: public. But yeah, I'm definitely more introverted. Well, the way I um, came across you was a a very public (laughs) display of (laughs) performance, which was in Mm -hmm. your your TEDx talk that I believe it was Bend, Oregon, right? Um, And um, the last time I saw the video, it looked like you had around 3 million plus views. It's probably even higher than that by now. Um, How did you navigate the extra attention? Like it was probably one thing to get up on stage and do it. But then there's the aftermath of people, you know, wanting a piece of you. So how did you navigate that?
1: Yeah. um, (laughs) So that was really interesting, because I, you know, I've always had this fear of public speaking, but I was kind of like, the message is more important. Like I need to sort of get over that a little bit so that I can get up on stage and do this 12-minute video because it might have a real big impact on a lot of people's lives. Um, so I prepared a lot. I felt like, you know, as confident as I think I could have felt. Um, I did the talk and then, yeah, it kind of kind of went viral and that was really exciting. Um, and then I sort of needed to put some boundaries in place. Like I, my inbox was just... Uh, like it was like a cascade, out, or like a, yeah, it was it was mm. out of control. So I definitely allowed myself to not reply to every email. I put up a new email policy on my contact page and was just like, just so you know, you know, I try and read everything, but I can't reply to everything. And. Yeah, so I just kind of, and, and I also had rules for myself, like I'm not allowed to look at the comments page on TED.com because <laughs> even though most of them, like the overwhelming majority are positive, there are definitely some like anonymous jerks as there tend to be. Um, and even yeah. reading the positive comments, it can be overwhelming and it can just, it can make you feel like your confidence is dependent on other people's reactions. So I, I like to just kind of shut that out as much as I can and just focus on doing the work.
0: Yeah, and that's that's such an... Um that's probably a perspective that is very personal to you, but I also hear that from other introverts um, and in terms of especially how we're motivated and how we stay focused. It's less about that external validation and more about like, what do we know is true? So if you walked off that stage and said, yeah, I I did a really good job there. I feel really good about it. I know that I got my message out there. What people have to say about that is we care, but it we don't want to mm-hmm. look at it as like, validating or um uh the judgment of of how we did it's a much more internal compass
1: yeah and i think that at least for me the risk is that i i will do that or that Mm -hmm. you know i tend to be pretty sensitive so yeah um yeah that's that's probably the reason that i kind of have these boundaries for myself because it's no use to anyone if i'm just like feeling good because lots of people said nice things, or I'm feeling terrible because people had a <laughs> mm-hmm. problem with head talk. Like I, like I don't want to be, you know, as much as possible. I'd rather not be at the whim of other people's opinions. So, but it's hard to do when you're like a public figure. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because you want to you want to engage. I mean, that's what social media is about, right? Yeah. It's social. And um, I appreciate that you're you're talking about those boundaries and being discerning about, you know, when you put yourself out there and, and to what degree you engage and, and other times recognizing that um, you have to protect yourself mm-hmm. to some degree.
1: Yeah. And, you know, at the same time, I can get really personal on the blog and in my mm-hmm. newsletters. Mm-hmm. Um And I really like doing that, too. So I think it just kind of depends, like, am I talking to my people, like, to my community? Or is it, like... The out, you know the big wide world people stumbled upon my TED talk on YouTube or whatever
0: exactly that's a great way of differentiating it. There's our the community that we have connected with and that knows us and we know them and you've got some no like and trust. Whereas a video that just goes up on TED, I, everybody sees it and they you know like me <laughs> they might have come across it and not have met you before and so it's um, yeah there's a different level of uh, connection and and trust or not yeah. trust <laughs> that comes. With that yeah well I wanted I want to talk about that TED talk because um, you know obviously it compelled me enough to reach out to you because so much resonated and as I said in the intro there that um, you introduced me to one of my new favorite words of the year and that's multi potentialite um, can you share what that is and and as you share that um, what are some of the most interesting multipotentialites that you have come across as you've studied this
1: yeah, so a uh, multi-potentialite is someone with many interests and creative pursuits. Um, and that's kind of like an intentionally vague definition because I want people to feel like they can they can use the term if they want and it's not like this exclusive club or anything. It's basically mm-hmm. someone who's really curious about a lot of different things. Um, and so, yeah, along those same lines, you know, I have met people who are really impressive. Like, there was one guy I interviewed for my book who... Um, he used to be a spy at the CIA and then he, you know, went and got his MBA and started a bunch of businesses and he scuba dives. And, um, and there is, there's another guy who like had a couple restaurants and a book publishing company and a space (laughs) tech company. And it's like, whoa, you guys are really impressive. Um, but I actually didn't end up using either of those examples in the book because I really wanted people in the book to be more relatable. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, multi potentialites, we can be anything. For, you'll find multi potentialites who are librarians, architects, uh, entrepreneurs, um, I mean, really anything, doctors, you know, and mm-hmm. it, it just what you do for money doesn't necessarily tell us whether or not you're a multi-potentialite. It might, but it, it also might not.
0: Yeah, that's a point I want to come back to in a couple of minutes, sure. because um, I think that that's one place where multi-potentialites could get sort of wrapped up in knots, <laughs> especially if they have that entrepreneurial spirit. Mm-hmm. They want to look at things and say, how can I monetize this? And it's that very question that could kill it. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I, want to, I want to come back to that in just a moment. Um, so I'm so glad you mentioned that. But I've been thinking about introverts and our desire, you know, we tend to have that desire to go deep and attain mastery on something. And I did read some of the comments on the, the TED Talk. And I know, you know, some people are are thinking about, well, isn't mastery what is valued? Or, um, you know, even just before we were talking, I, I saw two things that felt like an example of um, what one might call mastery. One was a TED Talk about a man who's been obsessed for a decade with crows. <laughs> Of uh, Joshua Klein, I think, and so he's like all about all things crows, and he's digging in there and really going deep on this topic and their intelligence and whatnot. And then I was just watching this little video on on uh, Facebook about this woman who seems to make like weave a basket and make flowers out of women's hair, you know, on their heads. <laughs> you know, and it's like it's so um, we we are. I guess my point is just that it's uh, mastery is um, so attractive and seductive to so many of us. It's like we sit in awe of it. And so how do we kind of reconcile that quest for mastery Mm -hmm. with our often rabid curiosity, you know, to do all the things and know all the stuff? Um, can you be a multi-potentialite and still strive for mastery?
1: Yes. So I I believe that there's this like, there's this misconception Mm -hmm. that you're either really, really good at one thing, or you're kind of mediocre at everything. You're like a jack of all trades, master of none. Mm -hmm. And you're, Uneffective, and you don't make a lot of money and you're kind of jumping from here to there You're not very good at a lot of things, right? And I, I think this dichotomy is really flawed I think that there are a lot of people who kind of exist in the middle and are yeah. very good are experts even at Three or four or five things and I think that's entirely possible um, And and I've seen that I mean my friend Abe Cahuto who's who's in my book is a video director, a designer, a Kickstarter consultant, mm-hmm. and he also helps organizations um, with course online course creation. Yeah. And he's very good at all of those things. And you know, I interviewed a 74 year old surgeon, or he used to be a surgeon. He still works in the medical field, but he was a surgeon for many years. And you might be like, you know, how is that a multi potentialite? But he's got this incredible. Um, artistic life outside of work. He's an incredible artist as well. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely possible to be very good at several things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's so comforting to hear because because I think we do, you know, mastery, especially I think for introverts. And I also think of Dan Pink and him talking about motivation and mastery, autonomy, and purpose mm-hmm. as being um, some of those things that really motivate us. It's, it's comforting to hear that you can do all the things. And apply yourself I think it has to do with I mean what what do you think differentiates the person who is able to dig in and be really good like really solid in multiple things versus the jack of all trades master of none um
1: you know I'm not sure sh- I i I have a hard time with the jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none thing because I feel like a lot of people will no. look at a multi-potentialite and not really understand what they're doing or what's going on and they'll just assign them that label. So I think a lot mm-hmm. of the times if someone looks like a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none, it's because they haven't really figured out what they want to dive deeper into uh, and they're kind okay. of exploring. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of, like for me, I've got a few areas that I'm I'm pretty good at and then there are like a lot of things that I'm like, okay at because I've experimented with but that's okay too like we don't need to be um, world-class at every single thing we do Mm -hmm. Um, yeah and I I also want to point out that multi-potentialites tend to be experts largely at the relationship between different fields so um, if you look at your bookshelf for example Mm -hmm. um, you might find books not just on discrete topics but on like the relationship between math and music, or music and neuroscience, or you know, I've got a comedy. My friend wrote a comedy book about anxiety. <laughs> um, so, like, all of these interesting topics that people become experts at that are sort of like a mishmash of other topics, or mm-hmm. people look at them from a lot of different perspectives. Like th- that, that kind of expert is often a multi Yeah,
0: and I wonder if sometimes we we, we don't give them credit where credit is due Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, because we feel like if they can be an expert and do all those things that means I have to you know there's the potential for me to do Mm -hmm. that and I don't know if I can right
1: right I also think a lot of the times we don't see the multi-potentiality so like Mm -hmm. particularly if someone has a job that is very multifaceted like if someone is like an urban planner, or even like a, a librarian or something will just think, oh, they're a librarian. But actually, to be a librarian, I mean, there's like a, a million different things that go into that, you know, there's like finding events and literature and, yeah. I mean, I don't even know, there's there's a lot that goes into that.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's the researcher, yeah. there's customer service. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's that whole, there there are lots of different yeah. uh, dimensions to that one thing, yeah,
1: and I think a lot of jobs are mm-hmm. like that, and so when we don't we don't recognize that some someone has one job, but we don't think multi potentialites,
0: yeah. right? We but just, it's it's yeah. so cool to put that um, descriptor to it. um, Because it might it might. you know, what it strikes me is it's like on the resume, other duties as described as, uh, as needed, (laughs) (laughs) is where the multi potential might thrive, um, because they can pick up those kinds of things. Yeah, you know, so we we spoke just a few minutes ago about having all of those interests. And if we have that entrepreneurial mindset, our thoughts can naturally go to, how can I monetize this? Mm. And sometimes we forget, we should ask the question for, should I monetize this? <laughs> and I've always believed that just because we can doesn't mean we should. So how do we look at, as a multi-potentialite, how do we look at all of those interests and determine what is a vocation versus an avocation?
1: Yeah, I think you're right that like in our culture we tend to value things that make money more than the things that don't Mm -hmm. Um, and it's important to remember that just because something is profitable that doesn't necessarily mean that it's valuable you know or Mm -hmm. or that it's more valuable and that there are a lot of things where you know you're improving your physical health or your um, emotional well-being or you're strengthening your relationships or you're just getting a lot of enjoyment out of an activity and that's okay like those things are valuable too um, and I, I think that for multi-potentialites, what's important is that we get a degree of variety in our lives, and that amount varies from person to person. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't need all of those things to, to make money, right? You just need a sense of variety. You need enough money overall, and you need a sense of, of meaning in, in your life and in, ter- in what you're doing. Um, but in terms of figuring out what to monetize and what not to monetize... It kind of depends on what kind of work model you're using. So so in the book, I go into these four work models. But if you're someone who, say, likes a lot of security and stability, then you might try and monetize things that are more lucrative and explore the harder-to-monetize passions on the side. That might be one approach you would take. Um, I would also say, like, sometimes it's just about experimentation to see what works and what doesn't work. And kind of what feels good to monetize and what what doesn't. Because some things, if you try and monetize it, it'll take the fun right out of it, you know?
0: Exactly. That's what I often hear is like the fear. Mm-hmm. I think of um, like I love photography. But if I were to start saying, hey, I should start selling or I should start trying to get hired, that would probably add something to it that would um, detract from the very thing that attracted me to it in the first place. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily something that would be a wise move, at least not at the moment, maybe someday. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: I mean, that also goes to the power of side hustles mm -hmm. and uh, starting something on the side while you've got your financial uh, needs covered, Mm -hmm. and then you don't have that extra pressure of having to monetize it. And then if it turns into something great,
0: but yeah, but if it doesn't, then you haven't, um, You haven't ruined it for yourself, and you haven't ruined yourself financially, (laughs) you know. Great. Well, and you said in the book, you go into some more detail about that. So, um, and the book is called How to Be Everything. And what is the subtitle?
1: Oh, the subtitle, it's um, a guide for those who still don't know what they want to be when they grow up. Awesome.
0: (laughs) I'm 45, and I think that describes me. (laughs) So, (laughs) (laughs) awesome. (laughs) Yeah, that... Well, in a, I want to shift gears just a little bit as we um, wrap up our conversation and uh, get to something that's super practical. Um, I did a recent podcast this spring with a guest um, named Patty Kay, and she shared tips on introducing ourselves when what we do is unique. But what we didn't talk about was how to say, here's what I do when we do two, three, or four unique things. Um, what suggestions do you have for that type of introduction?
1: Yeah, so there are two ways to approach the dreaded, so what do you do question. <laughs> um, you can either drop a really easy to understand answer, you know, like a title that maybe doesn't express the the breadth of who you are, mm-hmm. but um, they, you know, this person can get to know you better and then learn about the other sides of, of your personality and your career. Um, so that's one approach, just to drop like an easy answer. And the other approach is to have a conversation. And which approach you choose, it kind of depends on who you're speaking to um, and why, like, are they just asking to be polite or are they genuinely curious? Do you feel like opening up? If you don't, that's okay. Um, But if you do, so the second approach, having a conversation, there are a few ways you can do that. You can lead with your multi-potentiality. You can say something like, I do many things or like, right now I'm into this and I've also got this project and, you know, or you can be like, I'm a multi-potentialite and then you'll definitely Mm -hmm. have a conversation. (laughs) Um, You could also try and think of an umbrella label. So instead of saying like, um, I teach preschool and um, I'm uh, I'm a a docent at the museum and I um, do some tutoring, you could be like, I'm an educator. Or instead of being like, I I do oil painting and I, uh, I'm i a textile artist and I'm a musician, you could just say I'm an artist, you know. So so kind of this like more all-encompassing um, umbrella label mm-hmm. you think of. And then they'll probably ask you, oh, what, you know, what kind of art? And then you can exactly. get into it. Um, you could also do the I help blank do blank approach, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is where you just kind of talk about, you know, if you're... If you say, like, um, I help adolescent girls feel more empowered, that doesn't really say what you do. Like, maybe you work at a shelter. Maybe you work at a nonprofit. Maybe you're a dance teacher. Like, or maybe you're all three. Um, so, yeah, you could you could talk a little bit about the function of your work and then mm-hmm. get into the specifics.
0: Yeah. And what's beautiful about that is that it um... – there's a sense of freedom with that. And I'm speaking of this, maybe I'm, I'm uh, you know, projecting onto myself here, <laughs> because I remember <laughs> when I started my business, I wouldn't say I'm a coach, or I have a coaching business. Mm-hmm. I'd always say, you know, I have a personal development business, or now I say I help introverts amplify their strengths and create success on their own terms. Yeah, that doesn't say I'm a coach. So it leaves me freedom, because then I can say I'm a coach, and a podcaster, and author, and, blah, 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 mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> on and on. Yeah. And, um. And what that does, it seems like, it gives us as entrepreneurs, as leaders, as professionals, um, as people, uh, freedom to evolve as our as our interests and our curiosity evolves. We don't box ourselves in uh, prematurely.
1: Yeah, and I think that that is a big fear of multipotentialites is being mm-hmm. being pigeonholed or being boxed yeah. in. Um, but I also think it's important to remember that, like, you can change the answer to that question, and mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter what people think, you know. It's, like, my friend Abe that I mentioned earlier, he'll introduce himself as a designer sometimes, and then when people realize that he also does video work, then they might be like, oh, that's interesting, tell me about that. You know, so so as people get to know you, they can learn about everything else. Yeah. You don't need to immediately... Unless you want to, which is cool too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you think you might be speaking with another multi potentialite, that's a good way to make a new friend.
0: Mm, Just mm-hmm.
1: drop everything that
0: you're doing and exactly. Do we have a sixth sense? Like I sense another multi potentialite. <laughs>
1: honestly, at this point, I
0: I think I might. <laughs> yeah, I bet you do. I bet your your radar is pretty sharp. <laughs> Well, if someone is listening to this, and they realize for the first time, they're like, I'm a multi potentialite. Um, Besides reading and or buying and reading your book, what first steps do you recommend for them to start understanding themselves better?
1: Yeah, so I've got a blog puttylike.com that I've been I've been blogging there since 2010. Mm-hmm. So there's a few hundred articles if you want to
0: learn a little <laughs> bit more. If you just want to dabble a little.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's also uh, we've got a start here page. It's got kind of the greatest hits. Um, so I think you know it's pe- people ask me like what's the first thing I should do mm-hmm. now that I know I'm a multi potentialite and it really just depends on where you're at, what you're struggling with, and what you're looking for, um, because that's such a big question, and we're all so different. Um, but yeah, we've got them sorted into categories, and there's there's a lot of articles up there.
0: So that that's what I would recommend. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure that alongside the link to the book, we will put a link to puttylike.com. Um, oh. And perhaps I'll link it straight to the Start Here page. So folks can uh, get that deep dive in on themselves and uh, see what they learn. So thank you so much for this. Um, it's yeah. it's energizing to talk about it. And and I know for me, like a first, a first step is just understanding what it is and saying, mm-hmm. yeah, that might be me. And to say, and how cool is that? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of you know, I don't know that our society is always um, accepting. <laughs> of of the, the multi-potentialite um, personality.
1: Yeah, it, it's not. And I think that a lot of that is actually historical. I think if you look at mm. specialization and the cultural pressure to specialize, that really stems from uh, the Industrial Revolution and, you know, this, mm-hmm. this need for everyone to kind of be a cog in the system and, and do one thing very, very well. Um, which, you know, through globalization, just kind of spread and in our school systems. And I think that that's starting to change, but there's still this idea in the air that you're supposed to do one thing, that it's more profitable to do one thing. And as the mm-hmm. economy is changing and technology is evolving, that's just not really the case anymore. Um, yeah. And And if you start looking at the world through this lens, you see that there are people who are really successful who are interested in a lot of different things and have this like grand curiosity and uh, you start to recognize multipotentialites in in really kind of prominent cultural positions as well
0: yeah nice and i hope and thank you for shining the light on it then because i think that that will put those people in the spotlight more and uh folks who are learning about this for the first time and perhaps have been feeling um, like a fish out of water, mm-hmm. um, because they, they can't or don't want to specialize, um, this will give them uh, those role models that they that they really need. And I think then that'll result in even more successful multi-potentialites as more people claim it yeah. and actually live it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you for that. Um, well, let's wrap up with a question that I ask all of my guests. And uh, and I often say this to authors because I'm usually, I'm often talking to them right around the time their book is published. So I always have this assumption, because I've been there myself, that you want a three-week vacation on Introvert Island. <laughs> <laughs> and so I've waved a magic wand and you have that vacation. And you can only take three books with you. Um, what would you take with you and why?
1: Uh, that's a hard question. Um, so... You know, I don't, I'm not someone who rereads books very often, um, but I thought about this and I think I know my answers. So the first one is, um, I really liked The Art of Asking by Amanda Palmer.
0: Mm-hmm. Have you read that? Yeah.
1: I have seen the TED it's Talk. really good. It's just, yeah. uh, you know, such a good story and it's so good from like a memoir perspective and the ideas are interesting and I always cry and laugh and I think that... And it's mm. long, so I feel like I would I would enjoy that, and I would probably read that a few times. <laughs> um, I really liked when breath becomes air, and who's the author? Uh, Paul Kalanithi. He's he's wonderful. That book is is beautiful, and I think I would get something mm. more at I'd get more out of it each time. I should I should read that again. This is making me think I should read it again. Mm. Really beautiful book. <laughs> um, and then I.
0: Can I I bring a journal, like something to write in? Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I would never deny an introvert a journal. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Yes. Excellent. Well, what is the best way for people to connect with you, Emily, and learn more about you and your book, How to Be Everything?
1: Yeah. So puttylike.com is a good place to go. Um, You can also check out my book directly by going to Mm -hmm. howtobeeverything.com. And I'm, you know, I'm on Twitter and all of that at Emily Wapnick, but that's linked on both of those, or at least on Putty Like.
0: Excellent. Great. Well, I'll include all those links in the show notes. And also include a link to the TEDx talk that you did, because it was excellent and I can't wait for more people to be discovering these, uh, the, their multifaceted selves, um, because of the good work that you're doing. So thank you so much for spending time with us and, and sharing your wisdom. Oh, thank you so much. This was great. Thanks again for joining me for this episode. If you have questions or comments, I invite you to post them as comments on this post at the dot share them on Facebook or Twitter, or email me directly at beth at the In a bit of book news, I just heard from my publisher that we are on the sixth print run of The Introvert Entrepreneur, which makes me extremely happy. And it makes me exceedingly grateful since that means that it's getting out there in the world and, I hope, changing lives and supporting people in building stronger businesses according to their introvert energy and strengths. And that leads me to a special request. When I was in graduate school, I learned in a fundraising class that the number one reason people don't give to charity is because they have not been asked. That particular piece of information has direct application to the business world in that if you don't ask for the job or the client or the review, you won't get it. So I'm taking time right now to make a direct, bold ask of you. If you're a listener of this podcast and appreciate what you hear, I ask that you take five minutes sometime this week to leave a review on iTunes. And if you've read my book, The Introvert Entrepreneur, and found value in it, then I ask that you take a few minutes to leave a review on Amazon.com. In both cases, you're giving your honest feedback about your experience with the book or the podcast, and that's useful to me as I create content. You're also providing valuable information to other potential listeners and readers, letting them know what they can expect from their own experience. Think about how many times a review has helped you to decide whether to spend your time or money on something and extend that same favor to someone else. Thank you so much for considering that direct, bold request. Before I sign off, I wanna offer a quick couple of thoughts on keeping the good parts of a vacation alive after you return to the office. My husband and I just had this conversation, in fact, like three days ago, as we walked to the beach one last time before getting on the plane that evening. We go on vacation in part to relieve stress, but it seems like the relaxed perspective wears off almost immediately when we come back home. So what can we do to keep it alive? Here, I'm using a beach vacation as my example, but I invite you to put this into whatever vacation context is true for you. So I have two initial thoughts about how to keep the vacation energy going. First, while you're on vacation, really soak it in. Notice if you're spending too much time distracted by your phone or the laptop that you brought, or always taking pictures, or always have your nose buried in a book. Take time to really be in the space that you're in, to be fully present to the sounds, the smells, the feelings. Really absorb it. I made sure that I stood at the ocean's edge and did nothing but stare at the waves and focus on the feeling of the icy water washing over my feet, then the sand sucking them down as the water receded. By absorbing that moment, I can pull it back up again any time. I can take a few deep breaths and I can recapture a bit of the serenity that I felt as I stood there. Second, take a small notebook and a pen with you and do a bit of journaling. Especially take time to capture those ideas that often surface when you're away from the routine and pressure of a normal workday. Here's something that happens to me and I doubt I'm alone with this but whenever I travel, I almost always feel more creative and bold, like I could do almost anything. Things that seem daunting back home seem easy when I'm on vacation. So by writing those ideas down, you're making some of that courageous energy tangible. While you're writing them down, include at least one or two first steps that you can take to make them happen, or at least to explore those ideas. Then when you get home, pull out your notes, plant your feet back on the ocean's edge, feel the water or the sun or the wind around you, and with your mind in that space, revisit your ideas. Take whatever action feels right in the moment and give yourself room to remember the sense of freedom that you felt and let that feeling lead you as you return to your work. A big thank you to Paul Messing, my podcast producer, and to my assistant Naja for the episode show notes. I appreciate the significant contribution that you both make to making this podcast happen. Our next episode features a conversation with Rabbi Sherry Hirsch, and we'll be talking about the power of embracing change—oh, that wonderful, ever-present, always-can-count-on-it change—in our lives. This is Beth Below of The Introvert Entrepreneur. And until we meet again, remember that success is an inside job.